Hello listeners. Welcome to Itihas, a Indic history podcast. And you're listening to episode 26 of the season Vijayanagara. In the last episode, we explored the art, architecture and philosophy of Vidya Shankara Temple of Sringeri, which was one of the most important temples that was built by the first Vijayanagara ruler Harihara I of Sangama dynasty. We had seen in detail how Vijayanagara artisans had aesthetically and skillfully integrated different concepts of philosophy and styles of art and architecture to produce a beautiful structure that reflects the legacy of the Vijayanagara emperors and also the acharyas of Sringeri Matha who implemented in their thoughts and deeds the lessons of unity in diversity and last but not least We also saw how the Vidya Shankara temple was not just an ode to the 10th Jagadguru of Sharada Shringeri Peetham but also an ode to the Hoysalas who excelled in the art and science of temple building. In this episode we will look at one of the most intriguing monuments at Vijayanagara the great stone platform which is also known as Mahanavami Dibba or Dasara Dibba that's located in the royal center part of hampi the huge platform like structure in the episode artwork is the mahanavami dibba and it's a great example of vijayanagara architecture and art being fused in an exceptionally aesthetic way and i will also tell you in detail why i call this structure intriguing like the name suggests mahanavami dibba has generally been associated with the annual celebration of the mahanavami festival at hampi and it continues even to this day its crucial location in the erstwhile vijayanagara capital its unusual architectural character and its unique sculptural themes totally devoid of sacred imagery make it a truly intriguing figure there are many historians who claim that the purpose of this structure is not fully understood although the link with the mahanavami celebrations has been often highlighted if you try searching for mahanavami dibba in google search engine you will notice that no wikipedia entry comes up for this piece of structure and that's really strange and you will see a lot of travel blogs or karnataka tourism websites that talk about this in random articles with similar descriptions copy pasted from a common source the main gist of the description and purpose of this great platform refers to the dasara or mahanami festival it being used by the vijayanagara emperors during the festival to observe the military processions and festival celebrations they all say how it was built by sri krishna devaraya after his successful udayagiri expedition against the gajapatis of orissa which puts the construction date to somewhere in between 1513 to 1517 CE but then if one looks at the structure or the detailed images of it one would be hard pressed to accept that it was all built in the 16th century and not just that if you go to the google maps marker of the site of this monument that are included in the show notes you will see that this is a huge monument that occupies some serious real estate 
in the heart of the designated royal center of hampi the question then arises was the royal center of hampi expanded sometime in the 16th century to accommodate such a big structure or was the valuable real estate space already available in the royal center which was laid by the first rulers of vijayanagara i highly doubt either of that happened if one looks at the plan of the royal center there are around 25 buildings tightly packed in this royal fortification so unless the mahanabhimi dibba had already occupied the space it does now there is no reason why many of these other buildings should be jostling for space also if one looks at the satellite view of the google map you would see that this monument is overlooking a main road that connects to the karnataka state highway number 131 that connects hampi to hagiri bommanahalli and it seems to be set strategically at that location such that it allows the military processions to be observed by the emperor from the great platform from a distance considering the fact that large processions marching through the densely packed royal center would have been not only impractical but also totally unfeasible again that's my own educated guess and opinion but then again i'm not pulling that opinion out of thin air without any basis for it there is a fine research paper by anna l dalipakola which details at length the sculptures on the great platform at vijayanagara and which we will look at now as per anna's research a detailed study of this monument suggests that it was built in four distinct phases instead of building it all at once like many of the earlier travel and tourism blogs claim to be the earliest phase of the platform probably dates from the middle of the 14th century when the royal center was laid out and the latest may be assigned to the beginning of the 16th century in short the initial platform was built by the rulers from the sangama dynasty in the 14th century and from then on it was progressively scaled up until the reign of shri krishna devaraya in the early 16th century so this monument spans the whole history of architectural and more importantly sculptural traditions at vijayanagara phase 1 of the great platform corresponds to the bottom slightly tapering basement a solid square of around 38 meters aside consisting of large irregularly shaped granite blocks it attains a maximum height of 3 meters the blocks of phase 1 and the imposing west facing staircase are covered with shallow carvings immediately above this rises the phase 2 a second smaller square basement some 28 meters aside and about 2 meters high the building technique is similar to that used for phase 1 however except for a few larger ones these granite blocks consistently adorned with carvings are substantially smaller than those used for phase 1 Although it is difficult to date these carvings with certainty their stylistic similarities with those of phase 1 suggest a somewhat later date 
in the 14th century. Phase 3 of the construction of the great platform marks a complete departure from the previous ones. It double tier or sharply dressed basement moldings the total height of which is nearly 5 meters supports the square top floor. This floor which measures about 22 square meters revealed granite footing blocks indicating the former existence of a freestanding hall of 12 by 12 wooden columns. The moldings of phase 3 are covered with crisp art reliefs which are the raised sculptural figures on the dark colored granite blocks that one can see in the corresponding picture in the show notes. In this case too the dating can only be tentative. However, the quality of the carvings is very similar to those of the early 15th century Hazara Rama temple or also known as Ramachandra temple in Hampi. On the east face these two courses of moldings are interrupted by a deep chamber from which two flights of steps to the north and to the south ascend to the topmost level phase 4 consists of three superimposed tiers of moldings finely carved in green gray chlorite schist these sculptures of this phase are particularly delicate unfortunately most of the slabs have been vandalized Some have been misplaced in the course of reconstruction and a substantial number of original slabs are now lost forever. To add to the confusion, a number of these blocks from dismantled pre-Vijayanagara temples have been reused here. As I mentioned in the previous two episodes, granite is a material commonly used by the Vijayanagara artisans. and most of the reliefs on the great platform are carved into granite blocks its particular texture however makes it prone to flaking and surface alterations resulting in a lack of intricate details vast majority of the sculptures are roughly sometimes even crudely executed however the artisans cleverly got around this problem by covering the sculptures with a thin layer of plaster which enabled them to conceal the unevenness of the stone and allowed them to enhance the resolution of the carvings before painting them in lively colors so as a tourist or someone looking at the photographs of the mahanabhumi dibba what you are looking at is not how it was back in the 16th century it's important to point this out as most of the time as tourists looking at antiques or ancient structures we tend to think that's how they looked lifeless and colorless most of these ruined structures were a lot more beautiful and colorful with exquisite details that we cannot make out today as they were lost in the sands of time the mid 14th century granite carvings of phase 1 reveal a strong attachment to long established forms the local folk tradition as seen in the granite slabs commemorating the death of heroes the self immolation of widows directly influenced the carvings of phase 1 and phase 2 
shallow relief carvings disposed in bands depict vigorous figures mostly in movement and action the vijayanagar artisans wanted to achieve a two dimensional and pictorial effect in the stone the carvings are placed in flat horizontal bands the human figures trees and animals appear in different scales according to the role they play in a given scene the staircase on the south face of the great platform has figures carved in a bolder relief in the choice of the themes mythological narratives scenes of music and dances performed exclusively by women in the celebration of the spring festival which is called as vasantotsava it was one of the most popular festivals in vijayanagara so these are some of the themes or exceptional iconographical elements in the phase 1 some carvings are comparable in elegance and finishing to those on the outer wall of the hazara rama temple there is also evidence of the south staircase being refurbished at some point by the 16th century chloride schist stone slabs were placed on the west face of the great platform covering the original granite bas reliefs the chloride schist stone slabs were not available in the hampi region and they were imported from the region of gadag in karnataka gadag betagiri is a small city in karnataka which is around 80 kilometers from dharwad and 60 kilometers from hubbali it is famous for the trikuteshwara temple complex which is dedicated to lord shiva this temple was designed by the legendary architect amar shilpi jakkannachari who was a contemporary to the kalyani chalukyas and hoysalas gadag is also known for its style of architecture which is marked by ornate pillars with intricate sculptures that's a signature of hoysala architecture especially So the region of Gadag was well known for the quality of the stone and the Vijayanagara artisans naturally imported the high quality stone from there. The chloride schist stones fine texture enable the Vijayanagara artisans to display not only their virtuosity in rendering the minutest details of dress, hairstyle and ornaments of the figures but also in carving projecting miniature architectural structures to house them with that the freshness and immediacy of the earlier figures was replaced by a formal elegance by immediacy i mean the style of depiction in the earlier phases was more focused on showing what the figures did and less on how they looked so with this new imported stone the artisans move from action to attention to detail on the figures itself at the end of the 15th and 16th century the shallow or low bas relief technique once so popular was used sparingly low bas and high bas these are terms to describe the depth of the sculptures so when somebody says low bas it means the sculptures have protruded or projected from the base or the stone or the block a little bit high bas means they have been projected a much more uh, than the low bas so basically the high bas reliefs have much more depth to them 
so that is for those terminologies so the artisans started juxtaposing shallow and bold relief techniques achieving some dramatic visual effects in upper two rows of the west wall of the chamber of phase 3 and also in the chlorite schist carvings on phase 4 and this shift in the artistic mindset is also indicative of the resources made available to them by the empire and which in turn reflects the economic and political power of the empire as such by the 16th century to put it simply the economic and geopolitical power of an empire nation or civilization is directly proportional to its socio-cultural efflorescence up until a point coming to the depiction of the figures the vijayanagar artisans of the sangama dynasty period created a human type modeled on the images of the hero stones both sexes are characterized by robust yet well proportioned bodies either shown engaged in a vigorous action such as hunting wrestling and boxing scenes or in majestic stillness as a royal figure female figures are shown either in graceful poses as for instance the huntress leaning on her bow and the stick dancers or again tense in the effort of aiming their arrows at the wild animals physical power expressivity and immediacy are the most typical characteristics of the figures in phase 1 although generally similar to the figures of phase 1 from which they were directly inspired those of phase 2 are carved on small size blocks this forced the artisans to create a new human type somewhat shorter and squatting shape when compared to phase 1 figures the limitations arising from the size of the blocks compelled the sculptors to be very selective in the way they chose to depict a figure Usually it is shown as a frozen in a position either seated standing or riding It's also worth pointing out that the Vijayanagara artisans were also heavily influenced by the both Tamil and Telugu regions of the empire They inspired them to create a different type of human figure more elongated nimble and more elegant which evolved in the course of the 15th century This is evident in phase 3 especially. This need for a new type of human figure was also due to the change of medium from granite to chlorite schist stone which required a different technique and offered an opportunity for improving the 15th century human type which was then refined to the utmost degree in the 16th century. These changes in the perception of the human figure During the four stylistic phases are stressed by changes in fashion, hairstyle and other features. Now let's look at the compositional strategies that were employed on the great platform across all the four phases to understand the evolution of the empire and Vijayanagara society itself. In phase 1 the main themes surrounding the sculptures are military parades, horses being shown to a nobleman or a ruler caravans of camels and rows of elephants at work equally popular are hunting scenes involving both courtly and tribal figures and martial sports such as wrestling and boxing 
the generous sizes of the blocks used in phase 1 were ideally suited to accommodate carvings illustrating long processional friezes long rows of animals and men moving in an east-west direction on either side of the stairs on the monument's west face this style inspired the artists to be extremely imaginative and creative in using the negative space too as part of the layout of a single scene or a complete narrative frieze this however is not the only method used by the artists to avoid a repetitive layout of the carvings landscape elements such as trees of varied descriptions and shrubs are introduced at appropriate places to enhance the rhythm of the composition and to mark the beginning of the new phase of action there are many complex hunting scenes on this monument and when one glances superficially the direction of movement of the figures in these scenes might seem ambiguous and random but it's anything but random as there are clear principles of composition that the vijayanagara artisans followed consistently in a subtle way for example the fleeing animals are set on a diagonal line on the rectangular block or animals startled by the sudden appearance of a dog or hunter are sculpted in a circular pattern with their heads facing the danger they sense and their bodies turned in the opposite direction jumping away in fear fierce fights between men and tigers are set in a triangle shape with their heads joining at the apex of the triangle and if you think about it it makes total sense one can fit a lot more narrative into a single such block by exploiting space in creative ways like that another interesting depiction is that of dancers and musicians from central asia who are stout in shape and jolly characters dancing in the royal court at hampi energetically to the sound of a tambourine these figures appear in other blocks too especially in the context of courtly scenes and rows of camels this interestingly also shows the soft power reach of vijayanagara deep into central asian countries like turkmenistan afghanistan tajikistan and uzbekistan it's well recorded on how many foreigners came looking for juicy job opportunities in the capital of vijayanagara it was undoubtedly a melting pot of many cultures and people most of the music and dance scenes are carved on the south and east walls of this south staircase these scenes offer a break from the formal public and ceremonial world groups of gracefully posed female dancers perform to the accompaniment of female musicians playing the nadaswaram and mridangam note the fact that female musicians were being depicted playing classical instruments on such an important monument this says volumes about the kind of egalitarian society vijayanagara was in comparison to its rivals and contemporaries under islamic rule one can also see women dance and celebrate the spring festival or also called as vasantotsava along with 
also showing them engaged in a holy like festival armed with water squirts and colored water one of the most interesting aspects of this great monument is what i mentioned in the beginning the lack of religious or mythological images and this is actually very surprising but there is only one exception to this and that is the detailed depiction of the saga of lord narasimha and goddess chanchalakshmi on the bottom row of both south and east faces of the staircase for those who don't know the story of chanchalakshmi here's a quick summary after lord narasimha breaks out of the pillar to save his ardent devotee bhakta prahlada from his father hiranyakashyap lord narasimha is uncontrollable in his anger after killing the rakshasa king and the gods in heaven later approach his consort and plead her to calm down narasimha who is in his ugra narasimha form so she takes the form of a beautiful tribal girl called chanchita and comes by him in the forest to where ugra narasimha had escaped away from people so he doesn't end up killing them accidentally in such a fiery anger so narasimha or ugra narasimha falls in love with chanchita and he passes through many tests of her before winning her hand in marriage and the scenes with her are depicted in these friezes or in this carvings one can see lord narasimha kneeling down to remove a thorn from her leg to impress her even more interesting observation is this whole depiction might have been a very clever attempt by vijayanagar artisans to not only emphasize the power of love but also a way to integrate and assimilate the tribal people in vijayanagar into the fold of vaishnavism if you remember in a couple of the previous episodes i had spoken about the healthy rivalry between shaivism and vaishnavism in south india in between the 14th and 16th century so it clearly served a socio cultural and a political purpose too in phase 2 the comparatively small size of the blocks did not allow the artisans to experiment with complex layouts involving numerous figures the majority of the carvings of this phase are executed in shallow relief there is however the occasional figure or scene which is deeply cut which is high bas relief the artisans and sculptors were not necessarily concerned with a careful selection of themes and which is why we saw a miscellaneous collection of depictions such as elephants camels horses seated royal or courtly figures wrestlers and hunters the most surprising feature as far as the choice of the themes is concerned is the appearance of ascetics and holy saints depicted as sitting on a lion or in a particular yogasana or carrying a kapala despite these random looking combinations of themes many sections of the monument do show a remarkable thematic consistency there are also many courtly scenes and royal figures showing granting audience to foreign horse traders and inspecting the parading horses 
the importance of horses and the war horse trade can also be deduced from these carvings as we saw in the previous episodes the war horse trade with the central asian arabian and portuguese traders was a very big deal for both the deccan sultanate states and vijayanagara equally phase 3's carvings reveal a remarkable departure from the aesthetic criteria that is displayed in phase 1 and phase 2 the figures carved in a bold relief have lost the spontaneity and the expressiveness that was seen in earlier phases it is instead replaced by careful layout and refined elegance variety of themes too is reduced and focus shifts to courtly imagery this increase in the depiction of courtly imagery shows that the empire has moved on from the phase of empire building to it reaching its peak or moving to a period where the empire is flourishing where the courtly politics or the court the royal court or the royals themselves are much more important and their glory and the culture is much more depicted in the phase 4 the west face of the great platform is adorned with most elaborately finished set of carvings in chlorite schist stones if phase 3 signifies a stylistic departure from the previous ones the phase 4 shows a complete change in technique and style instead of the angular expressive and shallow carved figures phase 4 displays a significant tendency for rounded elegantly finished highly decorated and deeply carved forms if phase 1 conveys the feeling of monumentality then phase 4 conveys a jewel like refinement of a miniaturist working in stone Unfortunately this phase is one of the most damaged or disturbed parts of the monument with many blocks being lost or destroyed From a thematic standpoint horses and martial scenes constitute this phase 4 Many fragments show an army of footmen equipped with round shields swords of various types and daggers following a royal figure mounted on a horse Here too the horses have been rendered with great sensitivity and attention to every detail of the saddles trappings and decorations It is theorized that this depiction perhaps refers to the Udaigiri battle of 1514 CE in which Sri Krishna Devaraya fought against the Gajapatis of Orissa Another notable depiction is of a seated courtly figure with three female attendants behind him this courtly figure is respectfully greeted by four men wearing a headdress called kulai there is clearly a progressive refinement in workmanship and in sculptural style a new type of human figure was evolved but the new ideal figure was more elongated and sensuous Finally the imagery on the great platform shows how the focus of the Vijayanagara artisans moved from a large collection of themes including all strata of the society to courtly life and celebrations 
So the imagery basically followed the same arc that was followed by the empire from empire building to the initial struggle focus on uh, the men material then to the slowly to the courtly figure arts culture and festivals and you know uh, an occasional depiction of wars and battles this structure clearly had a strong royal purpose and served the role of elevating the vijayanagara emperor in front of his subjects vassals and foreigners alike it was a very potent symbol and a platform literally to project not just the king's divine status but also his political military and economic prowess and with this we will end this episode which was the third installment of the art literature and architecture series i sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed it if you did please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you're listening a huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show i hope to see you soon in the next episode till then this is narendra vikram your host and narrator signing off hope you have a great week ahead